0: Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Do you want to save money at the grocery store? Eat more organic, whole foods? Cultivate food security and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food
1: With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson.
0: Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we got Ruth Pepler and her daughter, Grace, to talk about agritourism and creating their farm bed and breakfast. Ruth has been a registered nurse, private chef, and caterer, and has taught cooking classes, managed a farm, and homeschooled her daughter. She and her husband, Thomas, started their homestead near the Buffalo National River in Arkansas, 10 years ago. Shortly after moving there, they bought the adjoining property and opened Dogwood Hills Bed and Breakfast, which they call a guest farm, offering their guests a chance to experience life on the farm in a relaxing atmosphere. At 16, and having grown up on the homestead, her daughter Grace has taken a lead role in the daily functioning, guest relations, and marketing of Dogwood Hills Guest Farm. She is a wonderful agritourism ambassador speaking about Dogwood Hills and how it functions with everyone from local and county 4-H, county chambers, multiple tourism conferences, and even did a personal tour for the Arkansas Secretary of Agriculture. Since opening, they've added more cows, goats, and chickens, a fodder room for hydroponically growing barley, a high-tunnel hoop house, a visitor-friendly milking room, and they are currently adding a new certified kitchen. With a complete farm-to-table operation, Dogwood Hills Guest Farm helps people from all over the world experience life on a family-owned dairy farm. Welcome to the show today, Ruth and Grace.
2: Thank you so much for having
0: us. Oh my gosh, you know, I've never had a mother and daughter on the show before, so I'm excited to chat with you.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now?
2: Sure. Um, We originally moved here from New Jersey and bought a small piece of land to set up a homestead. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Shortly after that, we bought the adjoining piece of property with a three-bedroom house on it with the original intent to have a pastor's retreat for pastors with their families so that they could get away and just have some downtime where they weren't being observed by everybody and just kind of be able to reconnect with their kids. Um, From there, we started having, Well, we got a milk cow, we had some chickens, a couple of goats, and we started having people ask if they could participate with the farm activities. Wow! Uh, at the time, <laughs> I was I was milking a cow on the side of the hill tied to a post. Uh huh. So that didn't really, you know, lend itself to having people help out. Right. After that, we started looking at. Um, I think I started, googling farms and staying on a farm and things like that. There was, farm Stay UK. And then I also came across Farm Stay U.S.
0: Oh. That's an
2: organization that allows people to come and stay on a whole variety of farms across the country.
3: hmm
2: So I started doing a lot of research with them and calling different farms and asking them what they did and how they were able to bring guests on the farm and what that really looked like. And from there, we started with the idea of having guests be able to participate on the farm as we built the farm we laid the barn out very visitor friendly we put different cages not really the cages but pens the holding pens for the goats right the milk room things like that we set them up so kids could see but yet that they were safe oh, so yes. we didn't have you know um just run amuck happening <laughs> mm-hmm. then we let's see we added on slowly As people were asking about different things, how do you do this, how do you do that, do you make cheese, do you make bread, do you make yogurt? We started showing people how to do things, and we started having a homestead day because people were asking enough questions. That was probably four or five years ago we had our first homestead day. Uh It wound up being a gathering of maybe 25 people that were all very interested in homestead skills, and I had things like spinning and weaving. Some basic skills uh, showed them how to milk, how to make cheese. That time, we did some fermented foods, uh-huh. and it started off pretty simply.
0: That's absolutely—that's After- absolutely brilliant. Having a homestead day, did you dream that up, or did you did you find somebody else that was doing it?
2: Well, it was really just a matter of so many people were asking us how to do the things we did. We just figured we'd have a day and bring everybody on the farm. Wow! And. <laughs> As, I, as, I, as it grew, I found, you know, that, that there's things like that happening. There's whole villages. There's By us, there's the Ozark Folk Center, and they do a lot of the old-time skills. So we wanted to just bring it down to the farm and have a very hands-on kind of a day.
0: Right. How cool is that? Hey, Grace, how are those for you?
4: Oh, they're, they're fun. You get to meet a whole lot of people that come out or just visit with a lot of new people, some, some friends. It's just a really a lot of fun because um, you also get to watch the demonstrations and participate with some of the stuff also mm-hmm. that I may not know. So like you can, oh, we'll have the spinners here and I'll get to watch them or help them with that. And it's just it's a lot of fun.
0: I'm, I'm over here grinning from ear to ear because it's like, <laughs> we need to be doing these all over the country.
2: Yeah, and, and we found that as we did more research with Farmstay U.S. also that some of these had special events on the farm, and depending on what their specialty is, they would have an event related to that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things that really helped us to launch in that area of having the farm stay and doing having hands-on, having people coming, and really learning something new coming out from an environment that maybe... They don't have the opportunity to do that. Right. And then coming here and being able to try something that they've never done before. Something as simple as, you know, weeding the garden. They want to know how to do that. They want to know how to, uh, we did, oh, we did pallet gardens one year, and we showed people how to plant the pallet, Uh how to do lasagna gardening, how to compost. I mean, we have had, sometimes we've had probably different, 15 different classes going during the course of the day. Wow. Wow. What a
0: great idea.
2: Cool. Well, we really enjoy it and it yeah. really built yeah. really well. We did two of them a year and now we have a list of people as soon as they're they're watching for it in the spring and in the fall. Right. They want right. to know what our things are gonna be. Yep. As things have developed, we've gone more to the farm to table and we are do we did a cast iron cook off in this past November and wow. we had uh, AETN came up and they filmed it. They're the local PBS station. And then we had one of the people who does just cast iron cooking for one of their shows came up and did a class and talked about cast iron 101 and people were really interested in that. And then, uh, you know, in the springtime we do things that are more planting and and whatnot.
0: I'm going to shift on you just a little bit to your guest farm. What is that? And how did it come to be?
2: Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that goes back to farm stay again. We decided that we wanted to stay with a homestead-style farm
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and Mm -hmm. show people that they could come and stay on the farm. Uh, They come down in the morning. They stay at the house, which is separate, and Mm -hmm. they have their own privacy, which is really nice. They've got a deck overlooking the pastures, and in the morning, most families come down, stay on the farm with us, go in the barn. We do chores in the morning. We go through the milking, the feeding, helping tear up all the fodder for the cows, yeah. and feeding the horses and things like that. So they can really get a hands-on. If they are interested in doing stuff in the area, because we're right next to the Buffalo National River, they go out for the day, all and right. then maybe they come back in the evening and do more stuff with us. Or if they're interested, they can let us know ahead of time, and we'll arrange to have them work with us on whatever projects we're doing on the farm. Sometimes oh. it's turning over beds in the high tunnel or planting new plants or pruning blueberry bushes. So whatever it is we're doing, they mm-hmm. can participate with that as well. Wow.
0: Cool. So basically it's, this is a bed-and-breakfast concept where they get to come and work on the farm.
2: Yes. And it's a you pick breakfast. So they can come down in the morning and they can get fresh milk and eggs. But the breakfast at the moment is self-prep. They bring it up and we encourage them to spend the time with their family. It's got a fully equipped kitchen in the farmhouse. Mm -hmm. And there's also a, a large table that's great for family meals. One of the things that's really important to us is sitting down for meals together at the table. Absolutely. There's there's a lot to that every morning. You know, if you have breakfast with the people and you have a hard day out on the farm and you come back in and you have lunch with the people mm-hmm. and you have a hard mm-hmm. day on the farm, by dinner time you've sorted your problems pretty well. <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you don't yeah, really yeah.
2: have a choice. You just do it. Yeah. yeah. So it keeps things running smoothly and it's a good time to connect. And right. And in America, we've really gotten away from sitting down for meals together.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. So how many guests do you have at any one time?
2: Well, in the, in the house, we only take one family at a time. Now, mm-hmm. if two couples were coming up and they were friends, you know, and they wanted to, you know, stay together at the, ha- at the house, there's plenty of room, and the way the bedrooms are set up, you know, there's rooms on either end of the house, mm-hmm. so that would be fine, but we don't take more than one family. Um, when we went to expand, we sat down and we looked at our options, and having more people on the farm at one time was not really a good idea for us. We want to have that personal experience with the family that's coming here, and if you have two or three different families in the barn at chore time, you lose that immediately. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So we really wanted them to have the best farm experience, to be able to ask questions, to let their kids or themselves really just immerse themselves in the experience. And you you lose that if you have a large group.
0: Right, if you have too many people, exactly. So what's a typical day look like for a guest?
2: Well... We tell them that we start in the barn, depending on the temperature outside. In the wintertime, we start at 8, uh, waiting for the sun to come up over the right, hill.
3: Exactly. And the cows right.
2: don't come down in the dark, so we have to wait for the cows to be able to see clearly enough to come down to be milked.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So mm-hmm. they come down, usually 8 to 10 is our average time in the barn. If it's really hot in the summertime, we tell them we're going to go ahead and start at 7. But we've got three cows to milk, so if we know they're not coming down till a little bit later, then we'll just save one yeah. um, for them to have that. If we've got goats in milk, the, a lot of times the kids will milk the goats. Then we go in and we tear up all the fodder and they can come out and feed the cows. The goats get fed after that. Uh, chickens, there's about 90-something chickens on the farm, and oh, wow. so there's fresh eggs. yeah. <laughs> And uh, fresh eggs are seasonal, by the way. Oh yes, um, they the are. The light, yeah, the light of the day kind of dictates that. So yep. And we let them have the winter off. We don't force them with the with the light. We just kind of right. step back a little bit. After that, then there's we have a miniature horse. So if they are interested in hands on with the horse, we'll bring her out and they can groom her and play with her and feed her. Uh, we have some sheep, and they can go up and feed them also. And then uh, after that, it depends on whether they want to spend time with us after chores. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, then they can, you know, do, like I said, whatever they're doing in the garden or on the farm. Sometimes we're doing a building project. Sometimes we're moving things. We might be moving fencing. You know, it depends on how... Involved they want to be and we try and find that all out ahead of time We want to know the ages of the kids and what their interests are Mm
3: -hmm. We've Mm -hmm. had
2: people bring families that the kids are really scared of the animals and really they just want to desensitize them and kind of Get them to have that Interaction and to kind of get over some of that fear We had one family bring an autistic boy who was about six or seven and he was absolutely terrified of the animals Mm. And through the course of the week, by the end of the week, he was milking the goats and hugging on the dogs <laughs> like there was no tomorrow. And I can't even tell you the excitement of those parents
3: oh, to see
2: that child blossom the week he was here. Yeah. It was amazing. So,
0: sweet, you know, sweet. So very individual. Yeah, yeah. good. So you mentioned fodder for the animals, and uh, Grace, you have a, a particular kind of fodder. Process that you that you use for feeding the animals. Can you tell us about that?
4: Sure. I have about a, it's about a two hundred pound system, where it's all hydroponically grown. We do the barley; it has a very high nutrient content,
3: mm-hmm.
4: and so we put about five pounds of the seed for a 20, or eighteen foot tray, mm-hmm. and that'll uh, grow up to about seventy five pounds of fodder if you're at your max capacity. Wow. And so wow. it's about a seven-day process, which now we've got it to where we're getting a very large quantity, which is wonderful. The roots are your main source of your nutrients. So even if you got, like, a ton of grass up top, really that doesn't matter unless you have a really large root mat. So an ideal root mat is about two to three inches thick, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. if you have that much root, you don't need that much grass. And so then that just if it's really thick, you'll cut it up with a knife, where we can tear it. The kids love to come in and tear up the fodder, <laughs> of course. And then they'll just, <laughs> yeah. And then we'll put it into the buckets and take it out, and they can feed the cows. But the cows love it. the The kids just love to see those cows eat that fodder because it's just it's really cool.
0: Yeah.
4: And then the goats will eat it, and we feed it to the horse. And so it's it's really fun.
0: And did you design and build this?
4: No. We originally found it. We were at a feed swap thing, Uh and one of the people that we met there had a system set up, and I found that, and I think I was around 12 then, Mm -hmm. and so I decided that would be a great way to do all my cows because we don't have a ton of pasture. Oh, right. So then I took out a youth loan. I bought the system, bought me a couple cows, (laughs) and then um, we kind of redesigned it over the course of these past couple years looked at other systems and finished out tweaks and kinks and stuff to improve what we originally had so Mm -hmm. yeah we've just done a lot of research on it to make what we have the best
0: cool so you're you're running this fodder growing system for feeding the cows Mm -hmm. Uh, what else do you do on a day-to-day basis on the farm
4: um, well, mostly I milk the cows, so we got, um, I milk a Jersey, and then a Holstein, and then a Jersey Holstein cross. Uh-huh. So they, I think we got about, we're only taking about three gallons of milk right now. Mm-hmm. So then we'll, so we'll milk the cows, and then we'll, I guess we'll feed the chickens and collect the eggs that are there. And then we've um, taught my uncle how to do the fodder. That was previously one of my tasks in the morning, mm-hmm. but now... He's taken that over, and I've started milking more cows.
0: <laughs> oh, got it. Well, that's good. So, what do you do? What do you do with all the you had, How many chickens did you say you had?
4: Around ninety-ish.
0: So, We've what? Got do you, a
4: couple of different breeds.
0: What do you do with fifty plus eggs a day?
4: <laughs> well, we eat a lot of eggs. Uh-huh. <laughs> we get creative with the ways that we eat them. We also will sell them, or if we have some friends that need eggs. We'll give them to them. When we had originally gotten our chickens, we came home with a number that we had not really expected, and we had (laughs) around 200.
0: Oh, my gosh. And they
4: were all at max production. And it was right before Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so we're thinking, what are we going to do with all these eggs? Because we were getting almost 200 eggs a day. Right. So we decided that for the holiday season, we're just going to give all of our eggs away to the families around us. So we had a lot of people in our community come out and just we were just giving them all these eggs to do all their holiday baking with.
0: Right, right.
4: Oh, yeah, and we gave boy chickens. Yeah.
0: well, that <laughs> yeah, that kind of
4: wanted a couple.
0: So that takes me to my next question, Grace, and that's what kind of response you're getting from your community and your friends about this.
4: Well, right now we're getting a very good response. It's it's a, it's a relatively small community around us. They're uh-huh. very um, oh trying to figure out how to say that.
2: Really rural. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh-huh.
4: Um, so we've got a lot of people that kind of hang back, but we've just, through, through some of the things that we've done, we've gotten a lot of people to come out and interact. So there's a lot of kids around here that don't really get to go out to a lot of social mm-hmm. events. So we'll have 4-H here on our farm. We've been getting some new families with younger kids coming out for that. And it's, it's really great just to see these, these kids come out and just have a good time.
0: Yeah sounds like you're lit up by this
4: yeah it's it's really very cool because you to see all the the transformations happen is is a really wonderful thing to see
0: yeah how do how do your neighbors feel about hosting people uh, on the space are they on board with that
2: well do you want me to answer that either way, yeah, either way. um we at when we first told people that we were going to have guests on our farm, they said, are you crazy? Why would you do that? <laughs> but um, as, we've, as we've kind of kept steady with this and we've kept explaining what we're doing and we did things in the community and we started with the homestead days and outreach and really trying to get people plugged in, uh-huh. we're very active on the Chamber of Commerce here and... Um, promoting agritourism in the county as mm-hmm. a benefit to the county things have very slowly come around and people are starting to really be interested in what we're doing here and realizing that we're not it's not just about us it's not about our farm it's about how we impact the whole community here yeah. and that wow. that has oh, it's been a slow process mm-hmm. but it has been
0: a very good one yeah so you mentioned the word agritourism can you tell us what that is
2: well it's uh tourism to an agricultural venue so it can run from everything from a pumpkin patch berry picking christmas tree farms going to a like say a fiber workshop on a sheep farm corn mazes going to different orchards wineries it i mean it's so broad that's that's been kind of the standard I think these opening people opening up their farms and having people come to stay on their farm is relatively new within the last decade in the states but Mm -hmm. it's been centuries old in Europe and other places in the world where people just travel and they would stay on a farm work help out the next day to kind of cover their their room and board for the day and then move on or stay for a little while and help with the harvest and then keep traveling so it's it's not new you know in Europe but it is kind of new here and it's it's creeping creeping across the country I think very well now yeah. and more agritourism is the number one growing tourism industry in the country.
0: So you you mentioned in our before conversation that you're starting an agritourism association. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Oh sure. Uh, originally, there's in Searcy County, where we are in Arkansas, it's up by in the Ozarks by the Buffalo National River. Mm-hmm. And there are four or five farms that are very interested in doing the agritourism and are opening up. We have a buffalo farm and another beekeeping farm, uh, dairy goat farm, things like that. So all within the county, in this relatively small area, we have five farms doing agritourism. Wow. So I thought, well, let's start a Searcy County Agritourism Association. And as we started getting things together for that, we realized that there was not a regional Agritourism Association either. So we kept looking and found out there wasn't a state one either. So as kind of by default, we were able to step up and help get this started. So we've met with all sorts of people, the extension service, um, Ag Department, um, Farm Bureau, and Arkansas Made, Arkansas Grown uh-huh. are all uh-huh. interested in helping us get this off the ground. So right now we're in the formation stages. We had 36 people offer to be able to help out and get going on this, which is huge for a state no kidding. Um, as spread out, yeah, mm-hmm. as we are. So the the variety of farms really does cover a large diversity in farming, which Mm -hmm. is fabulous. Mm -hmm. And as we get going, then it will be the Arkansas Agritourism Association, and we'll we'll be taking members as soon as we get all of the formation stuff put together. But that's what we're at right now is putting together bylaws and getting all of the Um, structure together one of the main things that we'll be able to do though is to help people make that transition um, bring in some education
3: Mm. help them make a
2: transition from current agriculture to being able to bring guests onto their agriculture operation right because there's a lot of things that you have to take into consideration before you just bring people on your farm so that they can do it safely and so they can learn
0: so and farm stay you mentioned farm stay earlier they helped you in this process a bit didn't they
2: Absolutely. They are a fabulous resource and there are farm stays from coast to coast. They're very you know, I'm I'm finding that people that are opening up their farm to having guests are very willing to teach
1: and mm, yes. even
2: starting okay. a new farm stay, if somebody is interested in that and you, you have a current farm or you're looking at buying a farm and having people on it, the Farm Stay US is a fabulous resource because you can call the farmers directly. And they might tell you, you know, you need to call back at a different time, depending on what they do on their farm. But they're very willing to talk and explain what they're doing. Um, Agritourism is not competitive. It's very complementary. And that is a beautiful thing because people are so willing to help other people get started on it because the more agritourism there is, the more it's going to grow and more people are going to learn. And I think, you know, the whole crux of having people on your farm is so that you can show how the product gets to Uh to Uh the consumer i mean there's really it's like the behind the scenes of how this all happens so you've got a lot of people that are willing to show that and i think that's that's a fabulous thing
0: yeah wow how cool how cool so when somebody's looking at having guests on their farm uh, you know what are a few things that they would need to do just to get started?
2: Well, I would think the first thing, one of the first things that we did was to make sure things were safe. That is the primary concern. Mm. There's a lot of things that you do on day-to-day that you don't consider somebody who has no knowledge of farm life or anything else coming in and walking through that path and not seeing it the same way. Right. So bringing people on that are not familiar with farming, that are just friends, and having them kind of assess it, say, oh, what about this over here? Get another set of eyes on. Your eyes are very, very used to what you see every day. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> and we do this fairly often. Just because we've done it and started doesn't mean we don't do checkpoints. So we have people come and I say, I need, I need a fresh set of eyes on this, what looks out of place, what needs to be put up, what needs, you know, what's of concern to you. I have my insurance agent come and mm-hmm. walk through the farm with me. He comes up here every so often, and if there's something of concern, I absolutely want to address that. Right. So we've he's been a really great asset to us. Then one of the things as we as we started to develop the farm, we built everything to be observable. Um, typical farm life is not always as observable. You, you don't have room where you can put people mm-hmm. um, so that they can like see what you're doing. Like a viewing gallery? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, you might have your back turned to somebody and they can't see what you're doing, so you might have to rethink how you're approaching something so that they can, they can view what you're doing yeah. or they can ask questions, you, you know, to be able to walk through it with somebody else. And like I said, bringing friends on, is a good way to start before you actually have guests you know bring bring a bunch of friends over have breakfast do stuff with them and and see what they think and then they'll have questions and they'll say well what about this or that that's huge that helps so much yeah.
0: so does this aspect of your farm pay for itself and would you recommend it to other farmers
2: well we've done it kind of backwards most farmers that are going into agritourism already have a working farm, they already have a crop or herd of something that they're using and that's their so they're coming in to augment their income, their farm income.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We came around this from the backside and we set it up as tourism. So we're adding into our farming operation as we see a need for either ourselves in our farm or for a teaching moment or to add things to the menu, so we've we've like I said, we've kind of come back the backside of it.
0: Right. So there's one more piece that that we talked about in the before conversation. And that's the internships. Are you familiar with the Wolfing program?
2: Yes, I am.
0: Yeah, and you you do bring in interns interns, yes? We are just
2: setting up to be able to take interns. We converted a bus, a school bus, into a one bedroom. Sort of a mini apartment. Wow. And yeah. <laughs> so we're we're looking for interns to come for, oh, you know, anywhere from a month to two months at a time. Right. With you know you know possibly longer depending on how they're traveling. You know they would come in and really be a part of the farm. Um, yeah. We're opening up this spring for group tours. One of the things that we were concerned about with the group tours is not having it having staff that doesn't work here all the time, that isn't a, a functional part of the farm. Uh-huh. So having people, you know, whether they're staff or family or interns, we want them to really be immersed in the farm, you know, eating meals with us and the everyday yeah. grind. So that when somebody asks them a question, they're answering it from firsthand experience, not, right. you know, not coming in and yeah. not really understanding the whole concept.
0: So if you're listening to the podcast out there, you might want to check in and be an intern or a woofer. Are you, are you using the woofing program?
2: Uh, we were waiting to get a few of these things. Um, uh. Right now we're in the process actually this week of finishing up all the details for a certified kitchen in the farm. Oh, nice. Um, up in the barn. So, yeah, we'll be able to host farm-to-table dinners and the group bus tours and wow. um, be able to offer now our guests a la carte meals mm-hmm. so if they want to come down for a meal or two or three during the day they can do that and they would eat family style with us and with the staff so as we were f- working out these fine-tuned things we were you know holding off on the internship until we had that done yeah. but that should be we should be ready for this summer for
0: internship. nice nice hey grace have you slept in the bus yet
2: <laughs> no i have not i'm, <laughs> I'm
4: kind of scared no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my
4: mom is- Mama says I can't bring my dog in there with me, so I ah, said oh. Okay. Right. There, you there
0: you go. So you guys do something special a couple of Sundays a month and i this is a, a note on here that is a mystery to me. I don't have any idea what you're about ready to say. What is it?
2: Well, we have we host a potluck supper uh, twice a month on the second and fourth Sundays and we have people come from up to an hour away. participate in this. Most of them are homestead families,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and it kind of stemmed because we moved from New Jersey to here and do not have any extended family in the area, and a lot of the people here in the area that we're in have been here for generations, Mm -hmm. so they all have Sunday suppers at Grandma's house, and we were missing that tremendously, so we started inviting our homestead friends that don't have family in the area also over for Sunday supper, and then we started opening it up to whoever was in the area traveling through our guests can come down for sunday supper and it's really become quite a a family this past christmas we had we had originally thought to cancel it because it was the fourth sunday and everybody said oh they had family coming in and they weren't going to be coming for potluck so we figured well we'll cancel it oh goodness my daughter and her kids my oldest daughter lives about three hours from here and the kids were sick and they couldn't come down And my husband is the director over at Hospice, and he got called in on Christmas Day to work. So all of a sudden, it was going to be just Grace and I. And I guess either late that night or early the next morning, Christmas morning, we we saw a posting on Facebook from one of our families that comes on Sundays. And they said, does anybody know a place locally we can go for Christmas dinner? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Well, I called her up. I'm like, by all means, come here. (laughs) So she just started sobbing on the phone i mean it was just overwhelming you know that she was so thrilled to be able to go someplace for christmas dinner yeah so i figured well it's about 10 o'clock in the morning let's let's have dinner at three and we grace and i looked at each other and we're like we better call the rest of the people um, (laughs) and see if anybody else you know had a change of plans right so (laughs) we got through our list of people and there was Probably out of the 25 people or so, only two people had something to do Christmas day. Wow. Everybody else's plans had fallen through.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So by 3 o'clock, we had 20-something people here for Christmas dinner. We had a full Christmas dinner with, you know, roast beef and everything. I mean, all the trimmings. And we just had the most wonderful
0: day. How beautiful is that? Yeah, it was really amazing. Nice, nice. Nice. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Well, there's
2: been hard times on the farm. Mm -hmm. There's been times when something happened to an animal, and we didn't know how to handle it. Mm. I would say, you know, so at the moment, that felt like this horrible failure. Um, We lost our first dairy cow because she had an injury that we did not, you know, just you just, there was no recovery from it, and, right. and you just, you feel like, oh my goodness, that was absolutely horrible, I don't think I can ever do that again, and, but you've learned from it, so things got changed, and fencing lines got changed, and slippery slopes were no longer <laughs> in the fence line, so I think some of the harder things that have happened on the farm, some of the heartbreaking things, mm-hmm. have been mm-hmm. our biggest learning and growth experiences.
3: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, you know, as as we've been going through the last thirty minutes or so, this question keeps coming up for me, and I don't know why I didn't ask it earlier. So I'm going to ask it now. And that is, so you moved from New Jersey to Arkansas. Yes. Yeah. You have family in New Jersey, but not in Arkansas. What was the what was the propelling factor that moved you to move? What three or four states away? Out in a rural area.
2: Yeah, it's (laughs) it's a long drive home. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my husband had taken a job for a girls' ranch where it was a therapeutic residential facility, and that's what actually got us to Arkansas. Mm. Originally, we thought we were going to do this venture up in New Hampshire, so, you know... (laughs) <laughs> we're not <in> New Hampshire <laughs> right. anyhow, but we absolutely loved it. I mean, once we once we got through a year of working on the girls facility, we bought our own place here and that's when we had the the house with the 19 acres and then um it was everything was wooded and we had a few of our show chickens and a couple of goats. And it just kind of developed to the point where we loved what we were doing here so much and the opportunity was so great. In New Jersey, we could not have done that. I mean, my husband was working three jobs to try and pay for a house in four acres. You know, the taxes are phenomenal. We we just couldn't do what we're doing here in New Jersey. There was just no way to do that. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So in all of this, what do you consider your biggest success? I think having
2: a great response from Arkansas in itself, I'm... The whole thing with the agritourism has taken off so much. It was a dream, you Uh know, five, six years ago. And now, I mean, there's so much happening, and we're really pushing to the front line of it in in Arkansas. And we had the Secretary of Agriculture come up for lunch one day. Of the United States? No, um, um, no, no, uh, Arkansas. I'm sorry, Noah. (laughs) Yeah, that would have been something. But, I mean, it's just, you know, one of these things so, okay, we must be making a difference somehow. But I think with all of that stuff, it's not about that. We keep saying, you know, people ask us, is it profitable to be doing this? And my first answer is, it's not about the money.
3: Yeah.
2: It's about a lifestyle. It's about having your own business, having a self-sustaining farm, but it's about the community. It's about bringing people here, watching their faces as they light up when their little kids reach in and pull out their first egg out of the nest box. Yeah. You know, that is what it's all about. It's just absolutely amazing. And watching people's uh, faces as they learn something new is really exciting for us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nice. So I actually, while you were sharing about that, I pulled up Arkansas on the, uh, on the map and got my geography lesson for the day. You moved halfway. <laughs> you you moved dang near halfway across the country. Just about halfway, yeah. Yeah, just about halfway. Wow.
2: Yeah, and it's and it's about twenty twenty two hours to drive yeah. back to New wow. Jersey.
0: So. Wow. Okay, what drives you?
2: Wow. The the. I think really, it's the response that we get from people is what is what keeps you going,
3: mm-hmm.
2: Grace. When she was about 12, she came down the stairs one day, and she just didn't want to go outside, and she didn't want to be on, and she didn't want to deal with people. She was just having one of those days, and at 12, that happens.
3: Yeah.
2: And you know, she turned to me, and she said, no matter what's happening inside or how I feel, it's my guest's best day on the farm. And I was like, well, okay, if I oh. keep that perspective for the rest of my life, we'll be doing great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. So, and it, and it is, it's really just, you never know whose path you're coming across, what they need, and how they leave blessed. Yeah. And that's why we do what we do. Yeah.
0: So, Grace, I want to ask you that same question, and you're 16, right?
2: Yes.
0: Yeah. So I want to ask yes. you that same question. What drives you?
4: I guess there's like a lot of, you You really want to help the kids. Because mm-hmm. you'll have the kids that come in from, from the cities, and they'll know getting their eggs, it's from the grocery store. And so when they come here, it's we get to help them, and they'll get to learn. And that, that to me, is a fantastic part of what I get to do here, just to watch those kids, and then the kids in the community, too. I've made many friends here that just are very, um, to themselves and we get to to pull them out and draw them into this relationship that we've created here on the farm. And it's just a wonderful, a very wonderful thing to be a part of. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. So I'm all about education and I have to know, is there a book that's been influential for you in this process in your life?
4: Oh, well, I guess it would probably have to be Laura Ingalls Wilder, the, uh, farmer boy mm. from the little house series that yep. was one of my favorite books growing up we mom and i read the little house series very early on in um oh, my schooling and that that was one of my favorite books because just watching how they are i guess listening how they did it in those the old times with all the the hands on stuff the just the old way of living i loved it the just it was very cool to me and, said, I want to do something like that. And so we did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. So Grace, this next question is for you and then we'll get to your mom. And that is what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
4: Um, I guess bring your families out and to get to experience a different kind of life. Mm -hmm. Because people get very, um, I guess we would get set in our ways. And so getting to go and see someone else do something completely different is a great thing to see. Just the the family styles here and just the the communication between families. Mm-hmm. I think that is a wonderful thing that that we all should experience.
0: Beautiful. Ruth.
2: Well, I would say I would say that people that are looking to do something like this, if they're looking to do um agri-tourism, or bring guests onto their farm, or even start a homestead farm of their own. Start slowly.
3: Mm. Pick one
2: thing and get your hands on it and kind of get a good handle on it. And then when you're very comfortable with it, add something else. Yeah. And it's it's very tempting to want to run out and get it all at once and set up this great little farm and Oh, in about three months you're wondering why you did that. <laughs> yeah So <laughs> the workload is overwhelming. It, pace yourself and add in just a bit at a time. It's like trying to build a garden. You know we don't start with a garden that's you know an acre. We start with a small garden plot, and we see how it goes, and then we build onto it and we see what we like to grow and what grows well in our environment and things like that, and then slowly build. and you know if the goal is an acre and being able to put up all your own food you know, that's great, but we don't start out with just that because yeah. that's a lot to take on at once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that if people are looking for something like this, like Grace said, come out. You know, if, if you're even if you're thinking about starting an agri-tourism operation, come out and stay with us on the farm and see what it's like and ask a lot of questions. You know, yeah. always try things out before you, you jump into it.
0: Yeah. Thank you okay. so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today. It has been an amazing conversation. And Grace, you're the youngest person I've had on the show yes. so far. So, oh. <laughs> Yay. Well, well thank, you. thank you so
2: much for having us. We really appreciate it. Yes, yeah. this
0: has been a
4: great experience. Thank and, you.
0: And I, I have to say publicly that Grace, you did a phenomenal job today. Ruth, you did too. Uh, well, thank you. You did too. But, Grace, you did a phenomenal job today. You, you, know, you presented very well, and your, your, you know, your thoughts were very clear. and So good for you. Keep it up.
4: Well, thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So how can our listeners get a hold of you and schedule a trip out to stay on your farm?
2: Oh, well, we'd love that. Uh, there's a couple of ways. They can go to our new website. It is thefarmex.com. Or they can call the farm directly, uh, 870-448-4870. Or they can go to Airbnb. We're on that. And Uh also TripAdvisor if they want to see reviews and um, other pictures. You can check out our Facebook page, Dogwood Hills Guest Farm on Facebook. Perfect. And uh, that should give you a whole lot of information.
0: (laughs) Excellent. And I really encourage everybody listening out there. If, if there's a spark that was started today for you, go check it out. You know, check out uh, Ruth and Grace's farm or, you know, check out the WOOFing program. Go explore. Um, we had, I just want to share with, with you two that I, I've had WOOFers, and WOOFing is called, it's an acronym that stands for Willing Workers on Organic Farms. And I've had WOOFers here for the past 15 years, and I've had some of the most incredible young and older people come and stay. So I really encourage you to, you know, check it out. If there's something going on for you, check it out. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Perfect. Perfect. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Dogwood Hills. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWANTtogarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWANTtogarden.com. Our sponsor this month is Seven Springs Farm Supply. They have been serving farmers and gardeners since 1990 and offer a comprehensive selection of soil amendments, growing mixes, pests and disease controls, and cover crop seeds for the organic grower. Regardless of your farm size, the crops that you grow or where you farm, Seven Springs is a resource that you can trust to provide you with sound advice, the supplies you need, and quick and friendly service. Check out 7springsfarmsupply.com or give them a call at 800-540-9181 to learn more about the services they offer, including soil test reviews, custom fertilizer blending, and cooperative purchases. And hey, they're based in Virginia, ship nationwide, and they actually answer the phone. Give them a call. Urban Farm Podcast listeners get a 7% discount online with code URBAN7. To find more, go to sevenspringsfarmsupply.com or call them at eight zero zero five four zero nine one eight one.